Hello, boys and girls of Credit Union Land, and welcome to the CU Insight Experience. My name is Randy Smith. I am one of the co-founders and the publisher of CUinsight.com, and it is my job on the show to have conversations with the best and the brightest of the credit union community. We get to pick their brains and see if we can't find a few nuggets that we can all learn from. My guest this week is Tansley Stearns. Tansley is the Chief People and Strategy Officer at Canvas Credit Union in Colorado. Uh, many of you, I'm sure, know her from when she was crisscrossing the country, uh, helping credit unions innovate at her time at Filene. I knew this conversation was going to be a ton of fun. I've known Tansley for years, and I know how passionate she is about credit unions and doing what we do better. So like I said, I I knew this was going to be fun, but I also knew there was going to be a lot of great nuggets of information that came from it, and it didn't disappoint. We covered a lot. We talked about people and culture and how the people side of credit unions goes so well with the marketing side. We talked about the war for talent and Tansley's dream to make credit unions the employer of choice with that top talent out there or college grads. Uh, As always, we talked leadership. Tansley shared uh, the hacks she's learned along the way. She talked a lot about leaders that she's worked with who made her into the exceptional leader she is today. And, And we wrapped it all up with the rapid fire questions, which was a whole lot of fun. I think you'll enjoy getting to know Tansley a little bit better. So without further ado, I give you my conversation with Tansley Stearns. Enjoy. Tansley, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's really an honor. I appreciate it. I was so excited. I, I I knew we were going to have a lot of fun on this. I just wanted to just jump right into the questions because I, I think there's so much that we can talk about. In past conversations, you've told me about your dream, your, you know, your, yes. your, your, that you would like to accomplish before you retire to make credit unions that employer of choice. I think that's a fantastic dream. So two questions. First, why is this so personally you know important to you? And second, how can we make credit unions kind of that sexy career choice for college grads. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, it's something I hadn't thought as much about until I got to Canvas. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to be responsible for our people team, which for other organizations would be HR. And, (laughs) you know, we've got a real challenge with turnover. And, you know, I feel as though this is an amazing organization. You know, I've had the opportunity in my career to work with a lot of credit unions across the country, which are amazing organizations also. And, what you don't hear college students saying when they're seniors is what I want to do is work for a credit union. And I think we can change that. And so, you know, I'm a big dreamer, so I'm going to dream big that we can make that shift occur. And I think it's so important one, because, you know, as I've heard you say on the podcast and all of us have been saying there is a war for talent. So we really do need to attract the next generation of people that are going to love credit unions as much as we do. Absolutely. But also, you know, I think, you know, strategically, we continue to talk about attracting the next generation of members. People have to see themselves in the organizations they are going to work with. And so that is really important. And it's not just about, you know, the teller role or a frontline role, but people need to see themselves across the organization. So I think it's really important for us to meet our bottom line goals in order for us to have more than 6% of the market share, quite frankly. So uh, another uh, goal, I think we both would share is to see more of that as well. So uh, what are the biggest challenges to making this dream of yours come true? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is 
how do all of us not just tell a member story or a, you know attracting new member story, but we have to focus on employer brand in the same way that we do our the rest of our brand. And, and you know, those messages are pretty tightly woven, I believe, but there are some subtleties that are different. And I think, you know, if you look at the organizations that have had success in doing this, I think that they build paths, right? You know, we're noodling on things like, you know, how do we think about a career here differently? You know, we we may be a place where people don't stay forever. And maybe we start saying to people, hey, you want to learn how to adult? Do it here at Canvas, right? <laughs> um, you know, we can be the place that helps you learn to do that. And, you know, maybe we start thinking about you know, this isn't just a teller role or a frontline role, but, you know, sort of the enterprise model that you can start here and here's a path for you. You know, I, I think there are a lot of things structurally we can do a little differently. I think we can tell our story differently. I think partnerships with universities are a big part of that too. You know, we built a partnership with CSU and I think that's been very helpful to us. And, and then it's even before that, you know, we've had the opportunity to do some really cool programs with local high schools here where we've got people spending a couple of years before they get to college. So, you know, I think just like when we're attracting members, we got to get into the consideration set early and often. And, and then I would also just say to your point, we got to make working at credit unions sexy, right? Like right. It, and yep. it can be fun, right? That it is financial services and we certainly take it very seriously and we have to, you know, honor the fiduciary responsibility that we have to our members. And also it can be fun and playful at the same time. And, and that cultural commitment, we can't just think of as being the soft stuff. It is fundamentally important to who we are and our sustainability. You know, something that Jill's mentioned in conversations with me before is that idea. And this came from I, last summer when she had had foot surgery and was taking a whole bunch of Ubers. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the idea that like when you're we're trying to attract talent, like and, and to think of like that frontline staff, if you can go make more money Ubering and turn yes. it on and off whenever you want and have that flexibility, it outside of even credit unions, it seems like it would make it awfully tough to attract that talent unless yeah. if we're still trying to do things the way we've always done it right like that's right so, yeah. that's right well and and if you if you don't have quite the flexibility that you have at uber then what are the that a credit union can give you know and and how do we make it so attractive and i i think sometimes the more mature we get and the longer we've been in our career, we get this mentality. It's like, well, these are the dues that I had to pay. And it wasn't that much fun when I started. And well, <laughs> you know, we can either think about it that way and lose the war for talent, or we can start thinking about it truly differently and make sure we win. Yeah. That, I love this conversation. Is there something specific that you're doing or that, that you've started to implement at Canvas since you've been there now that you're settled in? I, I was going to throw one thing out. I've noticed in a lot of your branding, it's about the Canvas family. Uh, so, yes, agree. You know, mm -hmm. and I, I love what you guys do on social. I, I think it's fantastic. I think more credit unions should do it because it does make it look like a fun place, not only to be a member, but to work. So That's right. Well, yeah. And I, I think, you know, you make such a good point. We take social very seriously here. You know, we believe, again, that's where a lot of younger human beings spend their time. And so we've got to be out there. We've got to be telling that story. And and we've got to make sure that it isn't just a corporate effort. But, you know, we have brand ambassadors across our organization. We want to invite them to be part of it, for them to tell the story very authentically. 
you know, one of the things that we do is that we encourage our leaders that they are always recruiting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, when you go out and you have dinner and you meet a really good weight person, when you are in an Uber and you have somebody that's amazing, you know, all of these moments are times where we can be inviting people to be part of the family. And I, you know, we do take very seriously what we do. There are challenges and there are certainly roles where subject matter expertise is critical. And also the cultural fit is the most important thing. So if we find somebody and they are doing something really different, let's teach them how to do the technical work as long as we know that they're a great cultural fit. And I think that turns things on its head a bit too. I think Brett Martinez mentioned that too, just the mm -hmm. idea that if the culture you can train people to do the technical stuff. You can't train That's right. you know, the, that, that person to be that, like to fit the culture. So That's uh, right. that leads, it leads me to something else that I did want to talk to you about. We, we both have a, let's say an interest in marketing, you know, we, yeah. I, I think we, we love the human emotion of it all, but I've heard you talk about the intersection of people and marketing. It does that go along with what you're talking about here where it's, you know, we're, you're, you're marketing it for new members or to the membership, but also for, you know, new talent as well. That's right. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to work with Todd because he is a very creative thinker and willing to shake things up. And one of the things that we talked about when I got here was, you know, there is this inner interesting intersection of people, talent, marketing, and, you know, communication is so much at the core of both of those things. And, you know, as we work to communicate with our family members, as we work to be an employer of choice, as we work to tell our story in marketing, there's so much synergy there. And it's interesting because I sometimes say what my title is and people are like, what do you mean you do people and or HR and you do marketing together? And I actually think that there's something there that I, my guess is you'll see more of that happening because there is this really important different way of thinking about HR that is much more people centric that is critically important that you've got communication strategy and leadership at the core of that. So we think it works really well and, and we think that that could be something that other organizations consider in the future. So we, we love the connection. Is that something you brought to the credit union or were they already working in that direction before you got there? No, you know, we, I can't say I brought it here. I think, you know, we just have the opportunity to dream about things. And <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I love when ideas are not necessarily yours, mine or theirs. It yep. just, you know, organically happens. That's a great sign of a good team. And so, yeah, we had the opportunity to look at things and said, well, what if we paired these things together? And it's been really fun so far. Okay. So I have to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole. How do you, or, or how does Canvas, how you mentioned Todd, how do you guys yeah. create the space in the day to day to be able to go down those, you know, have those type of discussions uh, when there's so much of the, you know, I guess the things that you just have to do every day. Do you, do yeah. you guys, is it strategic planning sessions? Is it something that is a leadership team um, you do? I mean, or, or schedule or, yeah. Yeah. So we do have an innovation group that we've started. So we have people apply and they participate. And so we certainly do create time and space officially for that. You know, I also think that, you know, when you talk about Todd, he's a very organic person in terms of how he builds his day. And so I think he purposely leaves time unstructured to make sure that people go and spend time with him. And, you know, it, you know, when you come to Canvas, 
it's a very open space and you know no matter what your title or role he has made his office space inviting enough and and has created enough relationships that people go in there and spend that time together I also think the other way that we've helped to make that happen is that we are a family, you know, so we like spending time together. We spend time not only within these four walls, but outside of them. And so there are these moments where that happens, where it might be over an adult beverage. (laughs) (laughs) A a gin and tonic, right? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. (laughs) And so that, that helps. Um, And then, you know, I am just the opposite of Todd, right? I am a really structured person. So my day and my calendar is really full. But for me, knowing that I have time with people and that we've made time for that is the way I make it happen. So I think we do it in a lot of different ways. And I I think one of the gifts of being here is that we allow people to be who they are and to do that in the way that makes the most sense for them. Uh, that's a, a question that I know I want to get in a little bit more of later. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave that there because there was one yeah. last thing, uh, you know, in kind of this first part of the show that I did want to bring up, we share a, we, we share a favorite word, empathy, <laughs> you know, one, uh-huh. of our, one of those favorite ones. Um, so it, it's something that I, I personally and professionally think that we should have a little more of all of us yeah. inside and outside yep. of work, but, uh, mm-hmm. I won't go off on that soapbox. Uh, but, how will creating and leveraging empathy actually improve the outcome, not only of like inside the credit union, but outside the credit union? Yeah. So one of the challenges I think, especially within financial services is that you generally find people that are fairly conservative by nature, especially in credit unions. You've got a lot of long tenure, which is awesome. You know, we love that. And also as human beings, we get really used to doing things the way that we've done them and we start to see the world very similarly. And I think one of the challenges, particularly acute within financial services, is that if you work in a financial institution, you probably manage your finances really well. <laughs> and so oftentimes what I think we struggle with is members say things to us and I've observed it happen across this country in in branches where the member says something and we're like, well, but let me tell you how it really should work. Or, oh, here are the 10 things you can do. And again, we do it from a place of caring and a place of service and, you know, all good intentions, but it often can come across as very paternalistic. (laughs) And so, you know, what I really invite our family members to think about is, you know, what was it like before we knew these things? You know, who are those people in your lives that don't do this day in and day out? And how do you really put yourself in somebody else's shoes. I I always like to bring very real examples. I often use my husband because he's an architect by trade, but you know, he doesn't understand financial services. He doesn't live and breathe it every day. And right. so he's made some really weird financial choices. And you know, all of us have those people. And so I think when you can humanize it and you can help people to remember what it was like, you know, often I'll use the analogy of a doctor, right? We all of us have gone to the doctor. And you get in there and then they start pontificating and using words you don't understand. None of us wants to ask what they mean. Right. We don't want to seem stupid. And so for me, empathy is so core to us, better understanding member needs, serving them in a way that is going to feel different than every other financial institution. But it's hard work because you really have to take yourself outside of your own shoes. You have to stop paying attention to how you feel. It can sometimes feel like you know people are being weird. <laughs> uh, and so 
I think it's a practice and, uh, you know, to me, just like everything else we get good in, in life, we have to do it day in and day out in order to perfect it. I think I mentioned this on the, the conversation with Gigi during yeah. my DE, one of the things that we did, and it happened to be on a bank holiday. So all the credit unions and banks were closed, but yes. we went to a payday lenders and mystery yeah. shop. And mm-hmm. I remember the biggest shocker to me personally was how welcoming they were. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, there wasn't like shame as you were coming in there, right? Like it was just how can we help? You know, that type yes. of a thing. And I'm like, wow, you know, and, and the conversation that came from it in the DE class was that idea of, is that how we would treat somebody who was in a jam and needed a short-term loan in our credit union that same way? Or would, or would we, like you're talking about kind of go, why would you do that in the first place? You know? So that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's yep. uh, uh, I love that. Is there a belief currently that credit unions hold that you think has to fundamentally change in the uh, near future? You know, I don't know about fundamentally change, but I do think we often make decisions that are about what we believe the regulators will say about they are grounded in risk. And again, for all the right reasons, right? The regulators are important. They can help us to be better. We need them. Uh, Regulations, again, help us to be better. They help protect human beings. And also, you know, what if we spent even 25% more of our time really thinking about it from the member view, right? And then we and then we make sure that we've got the safety net of our good legal advisors <laughs> and experts on regulation. And you know, I think just starting from that place, you know, that that was always when I had my time at Flynn and we would talk about innovation, you know, it's not that regulatory issues don't matter. We're not saying that we shouldn't think about the cost of things, but what if we just started from the member need place? And I think if there's just one thing that we can do is just think about that framing and how much time we spend starting there. You know, we were in a meeting the other day and we were kind of going through our project list and And one of our VPs of lending asked the question, he was like, well, when we look at this list and we look at prioritization, how many of these things really impact the member? We had some healthy debate because there was a good other perspective, which was, well, these internal things ultimately help the member. But I just love the fact that that question was coming up. And and so I think, you know, just wrestling with that. And, and again, not saying that we don't have to do things in a compliant way, but how do we start from a place of member need? I think we're going to win much more because, you know, when, you know, we talk about fintech and we talk about Silicon Valley, quite frankly, that is what they do really, really well. Yeah, no, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's it's been interesting to me how, how often that's come up in these conversations from people mm-hmm. that have done very well in our space, you know, as leaders yeah. where they go back to even if they're outside the credit union and say working at a vendor now or a CUSO or something like that or at an association they come back to like the time they spent in the credit union and go back to the member. That's the, you know, so I, I, that's hugely important. I love that that came up in a meeting too, while you were going through the right? projects, right? That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I, I want to move on to the second part of the show, the leadership and the life hacks. Uh, All right. Have a little fun here. Uh, a, a question for you. What inspired you to take the gig as chief people and strategy officer at, at Canvas Credit Union? And 
you know, for our listeners, how you enjoy in Colorado now that you got settled in? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think first and foremost, the team, you know, I uh, had the opportunity to talk with Todd about what he was dreaming about and his vision for the organization. And, you know, he believes in transforming financial services. And I love a challenge and I think that we can do that. And so the opportunity to work for somebody that has that big of a vision was really appealing. I had the opportunity to meet the team and and my peers and they are brilliant, humble, funny people that I like to spend my spare time with. So that's really appealing. I also, you know, the, I had such a gift of spending six years at Feline, you know, but prior to that, I'd spent 14 years at three other credit unions. And while I loved every minute of my time at Feline, there is something about being in a credit union, being just a little closer to the member that I really missed. And so that was also super attractive. And then, you know, quite frankly, again, from a uh, challenge standpoint, you know, to be able to come into an organization and take on being just a small part of a rebrand of an 80 year old organization, you know, that's a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity. So there was a lot that was attractive. And and then I would just say on the personal side, you know, my first vacation with my husband was to Colorado. Uh, (laughs) And so we have for a lot of years talked about, you know, if you could live anywhere, where would it be? Colorado was definitely on the top of that list. So that was uh, a lot of things aligning for us in a really good way. That's that's awesome. Has the inspiration changed at all now that you've kind of settled into the job? Mm. You know, I don't know if the inspiration has changed, but I would say the weight of it has because I care so deeply about the people here. You know, people give everything they have to this place and, and they care so much and they care for one another. They care about the member. And so my commitment to helping enable that success, my commitment to helping us find more talent that can, uh, that can catapult us forward, the ability to execute on the brand. I just feel it's heavy in a good way to, <laughs> to make sure that I deliver on what I've promised to deliver on. This was a question I was actually, I was interested to ask you um, because you have worked, you know, from, you know, the pre- your previous time at Filene, you, you've worked with a lot of different credit unions. Yeah. How would you describe your leadership style and to kind of follow up on that? Is it something that you picked up along the way or is it something that you've kind of always had? Um, because you have worked with a lot of great leaders, you know, in, yeah. your, in your career. Yeah, I have been so lucky. You know, I stumbled into this business and have had the opportunity to work for amazing people that are given a lot of different gifts. I think if I were to describe it, it is really about servant leadership. You know, my, my commitment is to serve the people here, serve our members, serve Todd, serve Colorado, you know, and I think when you frame it that way, at least for me, you know, it's about, I'm not going to ever ask anybody to do anything I wouldn't do for them. It's about how do I enable success? You know, I'm, I'm here to, to help be a catalyst for all that. I think one of my biggest lessons from Todd in the short time I've had the opportunity to work for him is really just about the impact of humility. You know, this place is all about humility. Um, None of us uh, can do this alone. We are only as good as one another and how we lift one another up and, 
you know, you hear people say that, but it's really special to see that in action. You know, one of the other gifts that I had early on was just, um, I worked for a guy named John Normando at my first credit union. And really, he was so brilliant at identifying where his biggest opportunities were and surrounding himself with people who are good at the things that he wasn't the best at. And I think that's so hard. And I try to think about that all the time, whenever we've got openings or whenever we're thinking about org structure, you know, what are those gaps and how do we bring people in that are going to be different than us? And you have to be so disciplined to do that because, you know, we're all attracted to people that are similar to us and that bring us energy in that same way. And so, you know, it takes discipline to do that, but, you know, I hope that I live that. So, you know, I have just put up patchwork together of hopefully the things I've learned from people. And, and my other big belief is that the job of leadership and getting better is never, ever done. We just had our leadership foundations, which is our investment and, and our leaders here at Canvas. And one of the things that we shared with the people that participated is we purposely put cohorts together in that room that are all different levels of leadership, you know, some that are brand new and some that have been doing it for 15 or 20 years. All of us have an opportunity to continue to get better. And, and, and the, the commitment to that is something that I take really seriously. You know, a question I was thinking of, or maybe it's more of a, just a, a, a thought, but you know, has that changed over time? I, some of the, what you were saying about your, your first boss at the first credit union, oh, yeah, John. Um, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. that, like I almost, to me personally, it feels like sometimes with maturity, we get to to that spot where we can admit like what we're not good at yes. and want to bring people around us. Where maybe it was, I don't think it was just me, uh, but you know, I think a lot of us like earlier in our careers want to show how good we are. Like we're trying to, you know, and as maybe it's with maturity, maybe it's with a, a certain amount of success. You you go, oh no, I don't have to be great at everything. It's you yes. know bringing a good team around me. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, and I think I I certainly was guilty of that. And, and, and I think, you know, we want, I, I'm such a perfectionist that I'm saying, gosh, I'm going to bring somebody in that, that helps to supplement my gifts with their gifts, you know, feels, I think very early on, like, oh, maybe somebody's going to think differently of me. But, you know, I, I think, the best leaders, at least in my life, have been those that have been able to say, you know, no, I'm not great at that, but I want to hear your voice. You know, one of the things I've got uh, that I wrote on my wall that I read recently was this notion of weight, you know, asking the question, why am I talking? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm really encouraging myself to just shut up. (laughs) Listen, listen, listen. (laughs) I, I I could use a lot more of that myself. So <laughs> I fully it's hard. It. It's hard. It, it is. I I think. Gosh, I'm trying to think who it was that said this, but it was a, a similar thing that they were working on, and they said before they talk, they repeat the full thought that the other person said first, uh-huh. and then a, a lot of the time it comes to that point where they're like, "Yeah, I really don't need to add anything. That was yes, that was, that was fine." <laughs> so that's right. That's right. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there something? that the people at canvas already have heard you say so many times that they could finish your sentence (laughs) (laughs) oh dear so many things um you know the one thing i ask all the time is 
what's the outcome the member cares about, you know, whether we're talking about messaging or we're talking about product development, or even if we're talking about talking to potential candidates, like what is the outcome they care about? You know, people don't care about an auto loan. They don't care about a mortgage, right? They care about the home that they're going to raise their family and they care about the car they're going to be able to get to and from work in. And so we always have to be starting with those outcomes. So I ask that a lot. Um, I also say all the time, let's be kind and generous. You know, know, I say it to my daughter a lot. I say it here a lot um, because that matters deeply to me. The other thing that I've been saying a lot lately, I had the opportunity to see um, the guy that leads a place called, gosh, is it not impossible? Oh, Shoot, I can't say the name of the company. <laughs> His name is Mick Abeling, and he runs a place that is all about doing impossible things. And he talked about at this event this notion that everything today that's possible, and the example he used was a chair, was once impossible. And so anytime people say to me now, well, I don't know about that, or I'm not sure we can do that, I am famous for saying, well, it was once impossible, but I bet we can figure out how to make it so. <laughs> uh, they, yeah. they have to love when you come back from something and it just uh-huh, something sticks uh-huh. with you and you're like, this That's is right. a lo- game changer. So, That's right. That's right. <laughs> Is there something when you think back to earlier in your career, a, a mistake that you made? It, I'll put that into a little more context. Like, is there something that you've, you kind of see young leaders make the same mistake over and over again? Hmm. Is there anything? I mean, I made so many mistakes. (laughs) Sure. Um, You know, I think one of the things that I did a lot of that I am working hard to not do is apologizing. Uh, I spent a lot of time apologizing for who I am, particularly around how much passion I have for my career. You know, I, I've had people throughout my career say, well, you know, you should spend more time at home or what's going to happen with Mackenzie. And especially when I was traveling, I got a lot of comments around that. And, you know, I love what I do. And I hope that the gift to Mackenzie is that she sees that you can, whatever she decides her passion is, whether that's being at home or leading an organization or being the best volunteer, whatever those things are, that you can have this much passion and, and, and build good things for other people through that passion. And so, you know, I I had to learn to stop apologizing and stop trying to fit myself into what other people thought was the best part of me and to be who I think is the best me. And that's really hard. And I hate that it comes with age because it'd be really cool if I, (laughs) my younger self (laughs) should have done that. But I think that's one of the things that I, you know, I just, I don't, I don't think people saw the best of me because I was so busy trying to, well, but I do all these things, you know, yet I didn't need to explain myself that way. You know, I, I've talked about this with friends before, but I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the podcast. The idea that for years, as you know, you and I are friends that I travel yeah. quite a bit for joy. Yeah. And yeah. I would get messages from people on Facebook and other places or when I'd see people at credit union conferences, and they'd yeah. be like, when I retire, I want to travel like you do. And I yes. would always go to, well, you know, that's life choices that I've made. You have a beautiful family and a soccer yes. game and all this, but I would tell them why their life was good, you know, yes. type of thing. And mine couldn't be that good. And uh, I think it was probably two years ago now, it was a deliberate thing for me to stop and go, 
you're right. It's awesome. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I have, this is my right. life no. that I'm choosing to live. This is fantastic. You know, but and I quit. But like you said, apologizing for the life that you're choosing to live. And that's, uh, I think that's a, maybe another one of those that comes with maturity that it would be great to know about when we were 25 <laughs> and starting out. Right. So yes, that's right. Has there been a piece of advice that you received or a life lesson that you find yourself just always going back to? Yeah, you know, again, I, I'm saying John's name again, but John Norman, my first CEO, used to say to me, you know, you're only one book away from your next promotion. <laughs> I'm, I'm an English major, so I've always been an avid reader, but you know, I really do remember that and yeah. try to make sure that I am always feeding my brain so that, you know, I can hopefully get better and invite the people around me to come along in that journey with me. So, you know, I try to read as much as I can. I love that one. That's a good one. To me, there, I think there's a couple different ways to go with this question, but it's one that I ask uh, on almost every show is how you keep your message fresh. And on this, because you deal with the people side and the marketing side. So how, how internally are you keeping that, that culture message fresh? But then externally, you mentioned a rebrand, you know, a name change and everything about it. So like now that you're building that brand, how are, like, is there a consistency that needs to be? Is it something that, you mentioned 80 years changing, you know, I mean, the, is that something that you think about or worry about or? It is, you know, it's interesting. So I think there's two sides to that coin. One is, you know, I often say to our, our marketing team, you know, we'll know that we're getting there when we are so tired of saying it. So part of it is, it feels unfresh to us. But, you know, when you think about all the messages that people hear, we have to be saying it over and over and over and consistently in order to actually just crack through. So some of it is we just have to be disciplined to know it doesn't have to be different. It has to be consistent. And especially for us as we, you know, launch this new brand in a financial services category that's very full of other choices. And, you know, quite frankly, in a world that's full of a lot of noise. So some of it's consistency, you know, and then I really think relative to, you know, your question about culture and internal messaging, what I think we do really well that I think keeps things very fresh is that we hear the voices from across the organization. So, you know, for example, we do a video every week and, you know, there's consistency that I am hosting that, but there's people from across the organization, all different titles, all different roles that join us every week. And so, and everything that we do, we're really trying to have voices that are the people that make Canvas who we are. So Canvas and our culture is not Todd, it's not me, it's not our executive team, it's every family member and how we come together in the unique ways that we do. And so, you know, everything from our brand ambassador program to, you know, the way that we highlight people across all of our communication channels, I think really helps to make sure that that is very fresh. So is that a way it sounds very intentional that to to do that to be able to hear the voices because I mean it's it's not like you're a small organization so Yeah. Yeah, that's right. For sure. I mean I just you we're building a brand that we are talking about the fact that we're going to win with our people. We're going to be delightfully offbeat. You know, that can't be one human being. And we don't want it to be one human being. And you know, you think about what's going to resonate with the with a member or what's going to resonate with a, our newest family member. 
that might not be me. It might be any number of the 550 people that are here. And so, you know, making sure that we're elevating everyone's voice as often as we can, I think is a big part of what makes us unique. And I think very special. That's very cool. That, that, that's awesome to hear about. Um, if you have a free day, there's nothing on the calendar. I know that doesn't happen often for you, but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what passions do you have outside of credit unions? What do you do to recharge? What does I'll use the work-life integration look like to you? That was something yeah. you were mentioning earlier and I had to stop myself from asking this question then, but I did want to yeah. wrap up this section with it. So, yeah. So, you know, in terms of free time, I love movies. I love to read. Uh, I love to spend time with my family, of course. You know, Mackenzie and I love to sing and dance, and there's not much better than that. Every Sunday, I do pizza night, so I grill pizzas, and we do different toppings and try to make it. I am super predictable and always have the same thing, and I make something very different for Scott every week. So, you know, I, what, I love what's the predictable Tansley pizza? Uh, yeah. yeah. So it is pesto and mozzarella cheese. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I love that. And then, you know, I think in, in answer to your question about work life integration, you know, I just try and I'm not perfect at this. And there are moments where I'm really lousy at it, but try to just be really present where I am when I'm there. So, you know, if you were to look at a pie chart of my life, I imagine you would say that I'm a really lousy mom. I think that's not true. <laughs> I hope it's not true. When I'm with her, I give her everything I have. And I try to do that when I'm here. I try to do that with Scott. I try to do that when I'm running. So that takes discipline. And, you know, you had Leo on and he's a big, he's a friend of mine and he's helped me a lot in thinking about this. And you know, it's easy to be distracted. It's easy to be attached to your phone. And I'm not saying that I'm not, I do those things too, but I really try to be intentional about bringing my full self to every situation I'm in. And then I'm really lucky that I work at Canvas where we, you know, have bring your kiddo to work day. If, you know, I have an opportunity to have Mackenzie here, we are joyful about that. So I'm, I'm lucky that she can be a part of that. You know, you mentioned Leo when he was on, I, I swear we talked for probably a half hour before we hit record. And I was like, Oh, ah! we gotta, this is amazing. We got to push record. And then I think we probably talked for about a half hour to an hour afterwards, because I, I just, I, I, I am a huge fan of his and so much what, of what he talks about resonates so much mm -hmm. with me. And it's a, a constant struggle for me as well. So you know, yeah. it's a, <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I love it. I think that's something for all of us who tend to keep busy. So I want to be respectful of your time. So I, I'd like to get to part three of the podcast, the rapid fire all questions. Right. Questions right. are rapid. Your answers do not have to be. All right. Do you remember the uh, first time you got into memorable trouble? At least that you could tell us about. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I have to tell you, I was so afraid of my father that I didn't get into <laughs> I remember so vividly. So I grew up in a very small town, 7,000 people. My mom taught school. She was my English teacher my senior year because she was the only person who taught AP English. So there was no other choice. And he told me before I went into middle school, please know that everything you do, we will see because there are eyes all over this town. <laughs> so 
I was really a very cautious kid. Um, you know, I, so I didn't get into a lot of trouble. Um, and A minus was big trouble. It was big trouble for you. <laughs> That's <laughs> your dad scared you straight right off the get go at a young age. That's right. <laughs> so any daily routines that you do that if uh, you don't, your day just feels off? Yeah. I mean, I'm a big, big runner. Um, I had a little injury last year, so I've had to add in some diversity to my routine, but every day I get up at 3.50 AM and I, yes, painful. And, (laughs) and then I either Peloton, which is amazing, or I Peloton and, and run. And then one day a week I swim. I really find endorphins and exercise to be very healing to me. It's my sanity. You know, people are always like, I don't know why you do that, but it really is something that I'm not quite right without. And so I'm very, very committed to that. And then, you know, honestly, my routine is, I'm a, I'm a very routine person that you can probably set the clock with me. So, you know, I'm here by 640 every day. You know, I, like I said, my calendar is pretty full. So yeah, I'm, I'm very predictable. <laughs> if you get up at 350, what time do you go to bed? <laughs> yeah, good question. So if in my ideal world, I'm in bed by nine. Okay. Um, that doesn't often happen, but that's <laughs> if I have my druthers, cause I'm not somebody, you know, you read about people that are inspiring that say, you know, I don't need any sleep. You know, my husband believes that sleep is a waste of time. I am a person who needs sleep. <laughs> That's so funny. So, yeah. So I try to get as much rest as I can, but you know, I, I do feel as though I have borrowed about as much time from the day as I can. I'm not <laughs> sure I can set my alarm much earlier than three fifty. So <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think you should. And if I remember from uh, GAC a few years back, Ariana Huffington doesn't think you should either. So the random question, what's the, the best album of all time? That one you can listen to front to back and, yeah, every single Dave Matthews album is my favorite. I, you know, I, I, I don't know that I could put one on top of another. I, even the ones that Dave lovers hate, I still have at least one or two songs. He's my all-time favorite. I'll see him play four times this year. So you put on a Dave album, and I'm a happy girl. You're a happy girl <laughs> and, and listening the whole way through. You mentioned earlier that you're you're a reader, and 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 mm-hmm. we are too. We have a stack of books in the house that have been recommended to us that we're trying to work our way through. It's been one of my favorite parts of this podcast. It keeps growing. So yeah. um, is there a book over time that you've either gifted quite often or one that you just think everybody should read? Yeah. So on the business side of things, I think Christensen's Innovator's Dilemma is epic. That's you know, fantastic. I share stories from that almost every day. I have read it and reread it. And I think there's, you know, I, I think we've talked a lot about innovation, especially within credit unions and people sort of roll their eyes when they think about it. But I love the framework that he lays out. And I think he does a really good job of helping you to think about it in a way that you can, I think, put into action. So that's a favorite. And then, oh my goodness, on the personal side, probably one of my all-time favorites is A Prayer for Owen Meany. Um, So that's John Irving. And I love him. Um, I've read the rabbit series. Um, yeah. that's one of my all time favorites <laughs> a zillion times. So uh, any of Greg Isles books, I, I do love murder mystery. That's one of my secret obsessions. So he's a good one. 
the the John Irving was the like growing up i did not read much and then after college once i started it was like it went from like john grisham to john irving <laughs> to, yeah. to opening it up to, to to just so much more i don't know I, I was i didn't know what i was missing i guess so right. <laughs> that's yes. awesome we will link to all yeah. those books yeah i think you maybe even added one or two to my list so that's that's fantastic awesome. uh as you've gotten older what has become more important to you and the part of this question i like the most is What's become less important? Yeah. What's become more important is just thinking about long-term impact. You know, you spend so much time doing the things that you do, you know, work being probably the the top of that list. And, you know, I, I think more, and this is probably very morbid, but I think more and more about, okay, so I'm gone. Like, what are people going to say? And, and I, I want that impact positively to make a difference for as many people as is humanly possible. Um, that's the that's the beauty of credit union. So, you know, how we create that impact in a bigger and bigger way is really, really important to me. It's really important to me to be a good mom, of course, and I want to be setting a good example for my kiddo. I think what's become less important, although I, again, would say I kind of suck at this, is trying to stop thinking about what other people are thinking about me. <laughs> you know, I am a perfectionist. I do care, you know, and you know, you try to put the haters in the background, but you know, occasionally I spend far too much time worrying about that one thing and what did somebody think about that? And so I try to train my brain to care less and less. <laughs> That's, that, that makes for a much more peaceful life. That's for sure. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> There's a question that I didn't send you. When you hear the word success, who is the first person that comes to mind? Oh, my mother. Ah. And I know I've been listening to your podcast. <laughs> I, everyone says that, but you know, um, you know, she taught for 30 years. If you go to Hillsdale, my hometown, and you meet people, they still, even if they are very mature, will say, I had your mom in school and she <laughs> made such a difference in my life. And um, and she has just been a rock of a human being. You know, when I have a bad day, when I have a bad thought, when I need inspiration, she's the person I call and she always answers. And, you know, she cares deeply about me and she's an amazing grandmother and, you know, she has done all things in life brilliantly. Ah, well, that is it. As always, a beautiful way to end the show. The, the, the last question I have for you, Tansley, is do yeah. you have any asks of our listeners or any final thoughts Ooh. you'd like to share? You know, my ask is let's continue to make this industry great. You know, our dream at Canvas is to transform financial services. And I think we do that in unity. We do that collaboratively. And so let's continue to do that together. Beautiful way to end. We will link to everything we talked about in the show notes today is... Tansley S on Twitter, the best way for people to get a hold of you if they have additional questions. Yeah, that's awesome. Or preferred way, I guess I should say. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time today and being on the show. This has been a ton of fun. I hope you have an amazing day. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for having me. 